It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Yeah, before we bring in Mike Farron of the MLB Network, it's time to remind you guys that the 12 o'clock hour of the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show is sponsored by Colleague Racing. Colleague Racing, the official NASCAR team of Northeast Ohio. And with that, what's up, Mike? What's going on, gentlemen? How are you? Mike, how Look you doing? You. Let me tell you something. Good. I am so snobby when it comes to baseball. I think I know everything about baseball. Mike <laughs> so Farron, I've said this to him before. This is 100% <laughs> accurate. I've never met a man that knows. I've actually never met Mike in person. We've talked on the phone. We've, we've texted. Uh, but he knows more about baseball than anybody I've ever met, including most former uh, players. But certainly amongst non-players, he knows every player in the minors. He knows every player in the majors. He, he has got it locked out. His show with Jim Duquette is awesome. Can, I listen be, all the be, time. Before you answer this, yeah. I need to ask this really quick question. Yeah. We just talked about what goes on in the NBA <laughs> on off-road games, right? Oh, Miami. baseball too. Now, baseball, who is partying? Who parties more <laughs> during the season? Baseball players or NBA players, in your uh, humble <laughs> opinion? Well, I mean, it used to be baseball players, but I don't think the kids are wired today the same way that the, the players we grew up watching were. I mean, if they're partying, they're doing it outside of the view of, um, yeah, outside of the view of uh, people who might have cameras and whatnot. So if they're partying, it's mostly in their hotel rooms. But I think there's a lot more uh, time spent playing video games at this point than there is going out and and spending it on the clubs. But like, if you hear the stories from a generation ago of players. Ooh. I mean, they had what twice as many nights uh, on the road as NBA players did and mm. 10 times as many as NFL players did. So there was a lot more room to get into trouble. It's funny. I was, when I was working in the minor leagues doing play by play, I would have to, we had a, a, our manager for the Batavia muck dogs was a guy <laughs> named, well, my first year there, my first, it's a great team, right? Is the Phillies organization. My first year there in 99, the manager was Greg Legg. Remember Greg Legg, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. Greg Legg. The name, yeah. And then the second two years was a guy named Frank Klebe, who never, he was not a player. He was actually an amateur boxer. Minor league. I, my, part of my job, part of my job working for the team, even though I was the play by play guy was after at home games. We didn't do play by play. I only did home, I only did road games because the owner of the team was a genius. He thought if you did play by play for the home games, nobody would come to the game, which was stupid, but yeah. whatever. So my job for home games, I would do like on field promotions and, you know, PR stuff. And then my job was to bring two cases of beer to Frank Levy <laughs> in the locker room because nobody drinks beer. Like baseball players, Mike, is that is that not correct? <laughs> Especially managers. I mean, that is that is true. That has been historically the case, and nobody can put it away. In uh, listen, they do a really good job of hiding it too. I would say, like um, having been on team charter buses, like there's almost always a beverage um, in somebody's hand. So, I mean, listen, you got to wind down after three and a half hours, right? But yeah, um, baseball managers, without a doubt, they have a long history of being able to. Um, being able to uh, finish off a 12-pack in record time. That's right. Now, Mike, you say three and a half hours, but now, hopefully, games will not be as long, right? So far in spring training, the average game through this time last year is down 25 minutes, I believe. I, th- I thought, I believe I saw yesterday. Correct. What is What is your take on this, and do you think the, the change with the clock uh, and the other rules, but especially the clock, Will will dramatically change the time once we get to the regular season, or will it be not as big a gap? Well, I mean, I think I think it better. I mean, you know, what I mean, like I think that's one of the things that they're fighting is that the games have been have have crept up in time over the last forty years. I mean, they have something like eight thousand games of data uh, on this um, to look at through the minor leagues, and they saw a significant reduction, more than twenty five minutes. Um, in you know the cases of the extreme pitch clock last year now there's a i think what a couple extra seconds this year for major league players and i don't know that it's it's necessarily going to be quite to the same level it is right now in terms of 
um, how many, you know, how short the games are. I think once <laughs> pitchers figure out that they have, you know, the 20 seconds is actually a fairly long time with men on base. I think you'll see them start to use it a little better. But listen, the, the time of games has been a huge issue. And I think it's, it's um, you know, it, it, it gets exacerbated in the postseason when you hear people complain about how late the games start because kids can't stay up to the end. If they're playing two hour and 40 minute games, it makes a big difference on whether or not you can let your kids stay up to the end of the game. I think it's over the case in the course of the regular season, right? It makes it more likely for you to be able to stay to watch the end of the game if you go and attend it. So I think it's trending in the right direction. My hope is that it stays pretty similar and that we end up, you know, seeing at least a median time in the 240s um, because I think it would be a huge boost for the game. And, and listen, I think they're looking at this from the standpoint of not just the in-stadium experience being better if folks can be there to the end of games, but like the only thing that people watch live on television anymore is sports, right? And so if you can find a way to fit into television windows better, there's a chance to make more money, um, you know, whether it's via streaming outlets or via, you know, more traditional broadcast. I think all of those things are important for the future there. Mike, when you look at the, the all the changes, like I, I haven't seen any as much changes to the core part of the game Ever. Like, you know, in, in the NFL, yeah. usually they roll these things out very quickly. Uh, excuse me, roll them out slowly over time so people can adjust to them. But they've changed a lot of things from the shift to the base sizes uh, to the clock. What ways do you believe that teams are going to try to make this a competitive advantage? Mm-hmm. Do you think teams are going to put their, their roster or their personnel or any sort of extra strategy into making this like something that they do well? like maybe stealing bases or, or being very aggressive on a base pass. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the aggressive on the base pass is something that's worth watching, right? Because there's a limit now on the number of uh, pickoffs that teams have right. too, right? So I think that's another that's another big part of, of this, and this is something we saw in the minor leagues that it increased um, that it increased um, the the amount of stolen base attempts, and even early in spring training, we've seen nearly one more attempt per game. You know. But the last three years, we've seen the highest success rate in stolen base attempts on stolen bases in Major League history. We just have seen fewer attempts than ever before. So I think there's a hope that that will change. As to what it means, I mean, for defense, I think you're seeing teams start to value athleticism a little bit more at second base than they have over the last you know six or seven years where they've been able to position that guy in, in shallow right and basically treat him like a uh, a third baseman uh, kind of an old school third baseman with a lack of range i think you'll see some of that change i'm still skeptical that the shift rules are going to have that much impact on the pace of play or on the quality of play because i just don't think we saw that big an impact in the minor leagues but we'll see what happens. The bigger bases, I mean, it's a safety thing as much as anything. Maybe it makes a bang-bang play go to the runner a little bit more. Certainly the stolen base success rate has been higher in spring training this year than it was last year by, by almost 10%. I mean, it went from 72% to like 82% so far. But it's also spring training, so I would take that with a heaping grain of salt. So um, they would like the game to look more like it did in the 80s, I think, which is, you know, lots of, of – um, you know, super athletic players that are able to take advantage of uh, speed and, and, you know, doubles and triples is what their market research shows. The league's market research shows what fans want. I always worry about one part of this, which is that everybody wants baseball to look like it did when they were 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, right? Like we, that's we're nostalgic for it. And shoehorning too much of that in can be a problem. And I'm guilty of it, too. I mean, I'm a child of the 80s. That's my favorite style of play. Mm-hmm. But I do worry that we spend too much time trying to, to retrofit the game to what we wanted it to be or what we remember it to be versus what it actually is or needs to be going forward. And so I, I'm, I'm hoping that there's a happy medium there with it where we see an increase in those athletic plays, but that it isn't at the – that we just don't try and force the issue too much so that it takes away what with some of the things that that are really special in the game now which is the power for both pitchers and hitters Mike you was talking about how in spring training you know the stolen bases has gone up and you take that with a grain of salt what is something that a casual fan can look at that can translate to that's in spring training that translates to the regular season (laughs) absolutely nothing (laughs) I think that's I mean, like, I think that's like I play this game every spring. I get excited. Oh, this guy's having an awesome spring. Hey, let's do this. And you know what it means? Absolutely nothing. 
I mean, just nothing, nothing results wise. Now, I think the time of game stuff, I think that might actually translate. I think there's some correlation there. Um, I think you'll see that have an impact. So I'm that I'm less that would be the one thing from a casual fan. But in terms of the way the game is played or the way results are or the way the ball is flying out of the ballpark or not flying out of the ballpark. I mean, like there's literally nothing to be gained for fans from a statistical advantage other than, hey, baseball's back and it's cold a lot of places and it, it, and it feels like spring is coming if you get to see players playing in warm weather. Hey, Mike, baseball, baseball has a problem as far as it relates, uh, aligns with being relevant to the today's market. Basketball has done a great mm -hmm. job. Football has done a great job with aligning uh, the sport with the fans. Baseball has been slow to the table slow to the table, getting games out to the, to the natural public so they can uh, hone in on people. Not like the times when when it was really locked in, I would say in my last times when when Sosa and Bonds and McGuire right. and that group, then people were paying attention. How is baseball going to correct it? Because I don't think the, the, the making the bases larger, shortening the game's going to do a little bit, but there's got to be that connectivity between fans, current fans, and today's game, today's media market, with the, with the current way the game is being played. How are they going to address that? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Well, I mean, think about that time that you're talking about, too. I mean, what was it that ended up leading to that, right? I mean, we ended up with, with a decade-long steroid scandal in baseball that at least was somewhat responsible for that resurgence. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways to potentially go about it, because I agree with you. I think it's, you know, baseball's popularity is waning a little bit. It is it is certainly an older audience. Let's put it that way, that, that, that whatever over the last 20 years, whenever they've done um, studies on whose audience is the oldest, baseballs has been older by a wide margin. And certainly the, the demographic that um, the age demographic that MLB searches for is what the NBA has, right? They want younger fans. That's more buying power. It's more long-term fans. It's more lifelong. So I think Part of it is the gameplay. I do think the shorter games is going to make it more likely that casual fans will be uh, interested in more games than they have been. You know, in postseason, maybe you see them getting into five, six games a year, something like that. That's not insignificant. I think one of the challenges in marketing the sport is that baseball has become very regionalized. Um, and I think the other thing is that there's just not a whole lot of free time for players to be able to do things like commercials, right? Like if you're playing 162 games in 187 games uh, days, when's the downtime, you know, four of those off days are at the all-star break. Right. So, so I think there's challenges in trying to get those stars out there, but I, I think, you know, they kind of lucked into the home run race and that it was something that happened. And I realized this, this is a double-edged sword, but it happened organically and that the home runs being hit were incredible, even if the, 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 the players weren't organic. But I think that there's, I think, you know, I think one of the things that they will try and do is try and showcase the crazy athleticism and the crazy power of the game. And, and I think you're starting to see that a little bit on social media, um, you know, over the last five or six years, as you, you know, if you follow like the pitching ninja and you see the nasty pitches, I think those are things that can get people excited in bits, I think making it more accessible. And I think, and this is kind of a longer term thing and it has to deal with, with something that, you know, three of the four major sports are dealing with and the regional sports networks demise is getting rid of the blackouts, which is something that yeah. will yes. probably yeah. happen within the next couple yeah. of years. The commissioner has been pretty consistent in the last year and a half, really since before the lockout was done. The number one priority for Major League Baseball is reach. They need to get the game into right. more people's hands. They need to get it on devices that younger fans are watching it. So I think all of those things, it's not a great answer, I know, but, I mean, that's, that's kind of where they're working at, and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to see if they can – try enough different things that one of them catches hold and people can get excited about the game. Because you, you have to, uh, one of the problems I see is just this, you have to connect 
the fans with the players and the faces it, like the NBA. You know who the faces are. So when they come on a commercial, it's easy for a marketer to go to mm -hmm. use the NBA player because you're going to know the face of Draymond Green. You're going to know even Dylan Brooks. You're going to know the, you're going to know what those faces look like. The baseball guys, you don't know what they look like. They could be out right. of the club above me. I wouldn't even know what they look like. Except Wire and Judge. You know right, what he looks right. like. You yeah. know Judge. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you, you can't name. The casual fan yeah. especially doesn't know. Yes. Yeah. I think it's totally fair. I mean, I think, yeah. I think you know, the biggest stars you're going to be able to recognize. Like, everybody knows who Shohei Otani is, right? Yeah, like sure. That's, that's, and that's, I think that's good that you have a player like that. But, like, you know, I love Mike Trout. Mike Trout's arguably the greatest player in the last 50 years. And he's going to go down as one of the all-time greats. But I'm not sure that anybody could pick him out of a lineup. He's mm -mm. just like he's not wired that way, right? Like he's yeah. not this huge, engaging personality. And I think the other thing, and you hit on something there that that I'm wondering the changes in television do this is that you know the NBA is kind of a national game, right? Like yeah. everybody's. I mean, the 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 podcast conversation between Brooks and Draymond last night. Oh, that was, was like that, it was hilarious, but it was happening in a national television right. game, right? <laughs> right. And so. Like, there are limits, I think, because of the way baseball has become regionalized. And it's been great for these RSNs because the, the regional sports networks, because it's a ton of programming, right? Like, back in the day when I first started in, in radio that had major league teams, like, it was the one thing that made money on the radio. And it's because it was every single day. Right. What's tough to create that or do that over the course of six months nationally and have everybody follow it. So... Yeah, I think there are, there are definitely ways that they have to market the stars better. I don't, I'm not smart enough to know how to go about that. I should ask my wife. She's a marketing executive. She's probably got some better ideas on <laughs> than I do. Go ahead, McNuggets. You got a question for Mike? I do, Mike. So as Bullet told us throughout this whole week, you know more about baseball on a national level than, than anyone he knows. And Bull knows yeah, he's baseball. full so of it. If he gives you I'm that not. endorsement, then – I have to ask you this. We look sure. at Jose here in Cleveland as yeah. almost a savior for taking 150, 200 million less than some of the other top third basemen in baseball. Based on his contract, could you make the argument that Jose might actually be the single most valuable player in the entire league? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I hear what you're saying in that. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to tie it to dollars, sure. I mean, you're talking about, you know, one of probably the 10 to 15 best players in the game. Um, and I know, listen, like, like it's been really hard to get guys to, um, to stay in Cleveland. Right. And so like the thing that was most important, it seems like for, for Jose was to stay put, right. So Jose's there, you're going to have him for the next, you know, several years as, as one of the stars of that team. Um, you know, like if you're going to compare it to other free agent contracts or potential free agent contracts, yeah, I left a lot of money on the table. It was a pre-free agent deal, so you're probably going to sign for less money anyway when you do that than if you hit the market. So I guess you could say that, but I don't, I don't know that you need to look at it as the dollar value. I think we spend too much time looking at the dollar value on players and all that. Like if there's any indication of what teams can actually spend, you should look at the San Diego Padres. And so anytime we talk about an over a, a player that is exceeding value um, based on the contract that they've signed, it's really another win for the owners. And yeah. so I, I think looking at it that way, I think we're starting to evolve in some of that and looking at, you know, where that those numbers come from or, or where, what those numbers should be for players. Listen, Jose took what he was going to be comfortable with and what's great for his family. I'm happy for him. It's a second generation contract. He'd already been on one extension with, with the Guardians. Like, I'm excited for Guardians fans that they have this superstar player to continue to build around who's probably going to retire in a Guardians uniform. And, um, you know, like, I don't want to get too far ahead of it, but his numbers are going to look pretty good against third baseman historically when he retires. Like, he's a potential Hall of Famer. He really is. I mean, he's been in the mix for MVP, what, all but two years in the last six? Mm -hmm. So I think I think it's great to have that, but I wouldn't put the dollar value behind it. I would just say that, like, you have one of the superstars who is committed to Guardians fans and has a chance to, to you know, on a pretty good team, finally break that World Series draft. And I, I love, I agree with you, Mike, 100%, because I hate when fans and fellow media members give passes to owners for not spending money. I hate that. And I rip the Dolans for not spending money. The one thing I will credit the Dolans for is they hire good people, and outside of the budget having a, a limit, they let them yeah. do their job. They stay, Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff, you know, it's not like our football owner here, Jimmy Haslam, is a meddler. 
He gets involved in day-to-day. He's a pain in the ass. Dolan doesn't do any of that. Mm. And because of that, you know, even with the, with the, the force of a low penalty, it's amazing how good a front office this team has. We look at, I look at them in Tampa Bay as the models for all Major League Baseball. Do you look at those two franchises yeah. as the models as well? I mean, if you think about it, like, what's the, like, like when I was growing up, like, we already established I'm a child of the 80s, right? Which means yeah. I'm an old. But, like, the, 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 the Indians sucked, like, oh. for most of my life, right? Yes. Until you get to the 90s. And since then, what have they had? Maybe two, three 90 lost seasons in 30 years, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I think it's a testament to the front office they have. I agree with you. And I, I love Chris Antonet. I love Mike Chernoff. I think they do a tremendous job. And you're right. It's budget that is what's limited them. You know, even this winter where they clearly were not being given the resources that they needed to, to take that team to the next level, they made pretty smart plays with Josh Bell and Mike Zanino. And they're fortunate that they've developed this unbelievable pitching program, which should be, it really is the envy of every team in baseball. So um, I think they're in a lot of respects, a model franchise. I mean, I think if, to be a model franchise, you need an owner that's committed financially as well, I think. So that's kind of what pulls them back. But from the way they, they work as a front office, I think absolutely it's clear. And I, and I do think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with David Blitzer involved in the ownership group now yeah. and how that evolves over the next three, four, five years. Is there a bigger investment into payroll? Is there a bigger push? Does he have a little Peter Seidler in him who's the, the – the managing partner of the Padres, do they start to to push more towards the middle of the pack even in payroll when they have a chance? Because they've done that before. Yep. Starting to get to that point with this young group, right? You're going to need to augment it with some significant free agents outside to get over the top. And that's whether it's this year or next year, that that has to start happening for this team. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I mean, like one guy, Ahmed Rosario is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. And I know yeah. we know they have Gabriel Arias and they have Rocchio and they have all these great prospects. But Ahmed Rosario is one of the most important guys in this locker room. Like, I already know he's good. And I don't have to pay him crazy money because he doesn't hit for power. So he's not getting insane money. But the Guardians have, there's no excuse to me. They should be able to re-sign Ahmed Rosario. And I, but like if I had to bet right now, I'd bet that they don't. Now, you're not going to trade him probably because you're going to be a contender, but it's a shame. Like, he's a guy, he's not getting $30 million a year. Like, no. I don't know what he's going to get exactly, but, like, they should be able to, to pay Ahmed Rosario, I think. What do, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I think they should. I, yeah. I mean, I think because of some of what you've talked about, though, like, their, their depth is in pitching and players up the middle, right? Yeah. So, does it make more sense to... You know, I, I mean, I was a little bit surprised, to be honest, that they didn't trade Rosario this winter. I think that's yes. probably a testament to his role in the clubhouse as much as anything. Um, but I think they're, you know, like, I like Rosario a lot, but I think you can upgrade one of those up-the-middle positions if you want, either internally or externally. And that's why I'm not convinced that Rosario stays there. Not to mention, I think Jimenez can play short. I mean, you went through this, what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago with Dribble Cabrera, right? Like, Cabrera was turned out to be a terrific defensive shortstop for a number of years after breaking in as a second baseman. And I think Jimenez is kind of cut from the same cloth in that regard. But, um, you know, you're right. He's not going to be super expensive. I mean, he's probably, I, I mean, I would guess Rosario is surprisingly young, right? Like for a guy who's been on the scene for right. as long as he has. So, yeah. you know, like five and 75 is a pretty modest commitment for a free agent. It's just that, you know, what's the biggest deal in franchise history for a uh, for Encarnacion. an agent? Encarnacion, right? Yeah. Three and 60. So, yeah, it's mm. funny that you say five and 75 because I literally said yesterday, look at the Andrew Benatendi contract. That's yeah. what you pay Ahmed Rosario, which I think was five for 75 or something like that. Maybe it was 80. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know exactly. But yeah. somewhere in that in that neck of the woods. In terms of, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, it's funny because they added Bell, they added Zanino. I think the lineup's pretty good. I, I, I look at this team and I'm like, I know they got all this good young pitching. I'd love them to get at the trade deadline, assuming they're leading the division or something like that. I'd love them to trade some of their prospect depth, depth to get a veteran because I don't trust Savali and I don't trust Plesak and I want Quantrill to be my four in the playoffs. I love McKenzie. I love Bieber. I want them to go get a veteran third starter for the postseason. Uh, do you see that as something they could use and might do? 
Or no, I think they need to upgrade their offense in the postseason. I mean, I think I, Gavin Williams is coming quickly, and Gavin okay. Williams is better than Savali and Plesak, I think. I mean, yeah. I, Gavin Williams is a monster. I think he's got a chance to be an impactful starter on nice. the level of what McKenzie is. Um, wow. And that's going back to college. Like, there was, a, there was a really famous super regional game when he was at ECU where he went toe-to-toe with, with Kumar Rocker. And Williams' stuff is exceptional. I would not be surprised if he's up towards the end of the year. I don't know that I would look at their rotation as being a key for the postseason. I have bigger questions about their offense. I mean, what they did last year was a pretty neat trick, right? They singled their way to the postseason. I don't know that you can do that consistently. They don't walk very much. They really don't have any impact power. I think they have a big hole in right field. I'm not convinced that Oscar Gonzalez, based on his approach, is going to be an everyday player. So I think – targeting a bat at the deadline makes all the sense in the world i i you know like i was actually a little surprised that they weren't in heavier on juan soto a year ago because he was such a fit for so much what they needed and to your point they have a terrific farm system that they could have dealt from now obviously the padres paid an extreme premium for that but if you're looking at at a field that could be available to the deadline like the 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 guardians could meet the asking price for Brian Reynolds, if the Pirates decide to trade him, and I don't know that they're necessarily him. going to, he'd be a tremendous yes. fit as a switch hitter. He gets on base, has a little bit of power, very good in a corner. Like that guy is a great fit. They have the, the Ben Sherrington, who's the general manager of the Pirates, got his start in the Cleveland organization. They have a lot of history with him. Like that's the kind of guy that I think they could target if Pittsburgh moves him, and. They even with like the injury to Espino and the idea that Williams is untouchable, like th- there are a number of players there that would be of interest. I think like I would not be opposed to using like a George Valera to try and start a deal or, or Valera and Rocchio. Um, I think Pittsburgh needs some some um, position player help as much as they need you know pitching help you know angel martinez was really good in the fall league like that's another guy that i think the guardians could could potentially move because they have so much depth up the middle so there's a number of pieces that they could move to be able to get somebody like that and still keep a significant amount of depth it's just a matter of if and when they pull the trigger on something like that you know you know mike let me just as you really quickly before we we let you go great stuff and Bull is so happy that you mentioned this guy because he's been lobbying for Reynolds for <laughs> I've oh, the last seven, He's such a good seven, fit. Seven yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, you know, when I grew up, my favorite sport was baseball. I started playing baseball when I was six, played, played, six, played all the way through high school. And the glory days, you mentioned the 80s and, and the, you know, those days where you, you had Frank Thomas's and the Griffey's and, and the Paul Merrill's and, and all, all the big time names that we, we were comfortable talking with. We look back at the heyday. The one thing that I always look at that and, and say is the reason that was so special is because fringe people like home runs. Fringe fans don't really care about singles or doubles. They don't <laughs> they don't even like strikeouts. They want to right. see five or six, seven guys hit 50 home runs. And then we're like, wow, let me root <laughs> for my guy because I want to see him win the title. Now, right. for me, you can't just hand people steroids anymore. You can't just turn <laughs> the other way, look the other way. That's not going to work. Now, what are some ways that the MLB can, can increase home run? Maybe lowering the mound. I don't know. Messing with the strike zone a little bit. Do, do you think that they would ever do something in the way that the NBA did it in saying, all right, you can't touch Michael Jordan anymore because people want to see him score? Or in the NFL saying, you can't touch a yeah. quarterback because quarterbacks throw the ball and that's what people that sells people franchise quarterbacks came out of the necessity to say there's a person that is really good here he goes point to him right there yeah. baseball with 50 home runs I automatically know who good I, I just can yeah. see it. do you think they'll ever do anything to try to increase home runs without the out steroids it's it's funny because what they've done the last couple of years is tried to alter the the baseball so that they could reduce the number of home runs because 17, 18, 19 in particular, I think even going back to 2016, we saw some of the highest non-steroid era home run rates in baseball history. And the ball was a little um, juicy, let's say. So <laughs> what they've done is they've tried to deaden it a little bit. So like, here's some of the things that we've learned about the baseball. Some of this we already knew, right? They make the baseballs in Costa Rica. They're all handmade, which is pretty incredible. Like that you think yeah, about that, that it's there's crazy. not a machine that puts them out. And as a result, there's a wide variation in what's acceptable for a baseball that makes its way into a major league game. 
And what was happening is something had changed in the, the process that had made the core tighter. And so they were acting more like titleists. And so you were seeing, um, you were seeing the ball fly the other way. And, and you're just not seeing that to the same level over the course of the 21 and certainly the 22 season. So it's a really tricky line because they want to keep the integrity of the game together. And the league is super sensitive to the fact that the baseball has been altered seemingly every year and nobody really knows what the ball is going to be like from season to season. Um, so they, they, they don't like that either. They've tried to tighten up the parameters on what makes a legal baseball and, they're doing what they can for that. But I also, I agree with you. Like, I think one of the things, college baseball, I'm a big college baseball guy, right? I do college baseball games. I host a college baseball show. Um, college baseball is seeing home run rates that we haven't seen since um, the Nitro Bat era, back when they had the, the well, Bull, remember this, the drop fives, right? Like Ooh. the ones that were like, you had the 34 bat that was like 28 ounces, 20 right? The bat. drop six. And like, and then like the barrels were like the size of my forearms, right? So <laughs> it was like those big red bats. So like seeing that in, in college baseball right now, and one of the things that it has brought is the threat of the late home run is a big deal for fans because you want to be able to see your team have a chance if they're down three in the eighth. Mm-hmm. You don't want to think that it's out of the realm of possibility that anyone in your lineup can get the game even. So I think that's... I think it's a reasonable point. I think it's a, it's actually a really good one. I think it's one of the things that the league is kind of fighting against that I don't know that they need to be fighting against because fans like dingers, right? Pitchers don't like dingers. Maybe they have too yeah. many pitchers that are, are consulting uh, side, <laughs> but man, like home runs are exciting and home runs win ball games. Yeah. Mike, last thing real quick. We've got 15 seconds. I have the third pick in my fantasy baseball draft. Do I take Jose Ramirez or Trey Turner? I have no idea. I don't Come on, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mike shut that down. He was trying to get a freebie, Mike. Thanks, Mike. He was trying to get a freebie. No, no, no. I mean, I'm happy to give free advice, but just not on fantasy baseball. That's <laughs> outside. I'm out of line. Thanks, Mike. Great yeah. job, man. See you guys. Take care. Out of line. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. We're going to go from one baseball guest to another, but first we need to remind you guys that College Racing is the official NASCAR yes, team is. of Northeast Ohio. And this week, College Racing and the rest of the NASCAR world invades Phoenix Raceway. On Saturday, March 11th, Kyle Busch, Daniel Hemrick, and Chandler Smith battle amongst the field in the United Rentals 200. Then on Sunday, A.J. Allmendinger and Justin Haley battle it out in the United Rentals work United 500. Two Uniteds in one race name. That's interesting. And that's your call of racing report for the week. Go uh, A.J. Allmendinger, Justin Haley, Kyle Busch, Daniel Hemrick, and Chandler Smith. All going to represent colleague very well this weekend in Phoenix. All right, great stuff from Mike, who uh, he he thinks the Guardians do not need a pitcher. He thinks Gavin Williams, is, who's one of their top pitching prospects, is going to burst on the scene later in the season. Do we have Jay with us? We do have Jay. He also said give give Major League Baseball players those nice bats. Look at Jay. The metal joints, we're ready to go. Jay. What's up, Jay? All I want to know. Listen, I wish they were using those metal bats. I really, I really, I was at Philly's camp one year, and Jim Tomey thought he would grab a metal bat just to see what he could do with it. And their training facility was on uh, US 19 in Clearwater, and it's about a six or seven, eight lane highway on the backside of the facility. And he hit a ball out of the ballpark and over all lanes of traffic on US 19. And I realized, so that's why they don't use metal bats in, in Major League Baseball. Yeah. <laughs> Jay, what's up, man? I ain't my phone ain't ring. What's going on? You know, I you're on the radar. I I, I don't want to <laughs> make you think that they, they know who you are. They know who you are. They know where you are. Yeah. I would I would keep your ringer on because you never know. <laughs> Jay, did you tell them that you would we would give them a show? So this is what I told them. Okay. Your hips are a little tight. Will you stop? You run well. Stop that. You're, you're stop. stop putting that false narrative out there. Jay, At least he didn't say your yeah. glutes is, is hey, tight. Hey, Jay, did you, I don't know if you heard, did you hear the interview with Mike Barron at all? Did you hear what he had to say? Any of it? Just the tail end of it, but I heard what, I heard you recap him and say that, uh, you know, he doesn't think the Guardians need to go out and, and get a starting pitcher. And I've got to tell you, Bull, I, I, I think that, I, I tend to agree with that. Williams is a name I'm hearing a lot about. He was going also bananas very, about him. No, listen, and with very good reason. There yeah. is a lot of excitement in this organization. We, we always have that next guy in the pipeline. Here's the thing. Even with 
the back end of the rotation struggling last year, everybody's been quick to point out that all of those guys were dealing with some form of injury or another. And they look healthy. I just watched Plezak throw a bullpen. And I know it's just a bullpen, but I also watched him pitch a couple of innings. He pitched four innings against Mexico on Wednesday. And, you know, they've got that WBC roster has a lot of really nice major league talent on it. He threw four innings, one hit ball. More importantly, I thought he had great command of all of his stuff. He looks like Plezak from a couple of years ago. So I don't know that anybody in the organization is quick to think about going out to get that starting pitching help because they love what they have in the pipeline. And Williams is a name I hear a lot about and also Bybee. So if they can get, and they're going to get chances. You know, I just talked yeah. to Chris Antonetti, Chris Antonetti and he said, look, you know, during the course of the season, you know how it goes. Guys get hurt, opportunity comes available and it's what guys do with that opportunity. Last year, we saw everybody that had that opportunity really capitalized on it. So. I, look, if we need one at the, dread, at, the, at the trade deadline, they've got enough pieces here that they can work something and tr try to go out and get another arm. But right now, I think, think they're in pretty good shape, Bull. Yeah, he he flipped. He says, I don't think they need a pitcher. He says, I still think they need one more bat. Yeah. He doesn't have a lot of faith in Oscar Gonzalez. Mm. He he said that he he mentioned my guy, Brian Reynolds. He, he, yeah, I know you love him. He said, I think they should go. He says at the deadline, I think he, they should go out and get Brian Reynolds. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But. Yeah, I will say this, and I don't want to make too much of it, but uh, I just watched Oscar Gonzalez finish batting practice. So we're here at the ballpark in Goodyear, and we're at the. We're, they're just taking BP right now. They're all going to get on a bus and head to Phoenix. They have uh, the Brewers in a one o'clock start over there. Uh, it'd be three o'clock for you guys. But I just watched Gonzo hit, take BP, and. Um, he look, I don't know how, but to me, he looks a little bigger. It looks like his upper body has perhaps developed a little bit from season to season. And one of the things that when he would step out of the cage that he was working on was his launch angle. He was really working on his lead hand, making sure that he's keeping his angle in line. And for what it's worth, I know it's batting practice. You don't want to make too much of it, but he was lofting balls out of here like it was nothing. I mean, with very yeah. little effort. And that's the one thing that I think everybody thought that they were going to see more of last year from Gonzalez was a little more power. I think he looks like he's built to hit a little bit more for power this year. And all the guys that I've talked to say that he's done his work, he's ready to go. And we've talked a lot on this show about the fear of that second year slump, but I don't, I don't know that they're nearly as worried about a bull as you and I are, because all I right. think Good. all off season, they were working on how to avoid that. Mm. Well, you know, we heard about Gonzalez, but what about this new power, uh, you know, power from um, Straw? What about that? No, 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 no power. Uh. <laughs> Look, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, um, he, he is, uh, he is one of the elixirs in the clubhouse, guys. Everybody loves Miles Straw. He's oh, funny. He's, he's a stone breaker. He's so he's kind of that guy. You remember the, the the little tip that they had with the fans at Yankee Stadium last year. He's oh, yeah, a yeah. don't back down guy. <laughs> and you know, I know Bull, you were really hard on him last year. I love him for his defense and for his speed. Um, the good thing about the season ending is that you get to hit the reset button. I'm not saying he's going to hit 280, but he's not going to hit 200 either. So I think somewhere in between, they think they'd be happy with 240, 250 the same defense in the in in the outfield and run the bases like he has and I think everything's going to be okay out well, their outfield looks great well Jay listen he, he won a gold glove if you can get him to 265 come on now oh. 265 and some stolen bases with the D I'll take that pause especially because he's well, the hell, worst guy pause. in the lineup now not the Woo! you know last year yeah. he was like the seventh guy in the lineup now he's the He's the last guy, so I can live with a guy with no power and a mediocre batting average if I'm getting that great speed and great defense. But Jay, you spoke with Terry Francona yesterday. Oh, Tell yeah. us about that. I know you got some clips to play. I did, and before we hear the first clip, I want to set it up this way. For anybody that's followed Terry through his career, you know the last three years, 2021 20, and 22, have been a real grind for him. He's had one sort of ailment after another. We know about the feet. We know about the stomach issues he had. He had the hip. He went in and as soon as the offseason was over, a couple of weeks later, he had a procedure done in Cleveland. He, he told me that he feels as good as he's felt in years. And I know 
people don't think, well, how, how much of a grind can it be to manage a big league team? Tito's in the office first thing in the morning. And, you know, it, he's there. He's there all day. And it is a grind. I know it's it, it, people may not think that, but it physically can be a grind. And it, it can be very demanding, particularly with the travel. But one of the things we started our conversation about, and that'll be the first clip that we get to, Mike, is his health, how he feels, and how he feels he's positioned to get through the full 162 this year without having to miss any games for any illnesses or any surgeries or anything like that. Mike, you can, Steve, you can roll it. You look well. You look. How about I, I? I told you I look less worse than usual. How's that? <laughs> um, I don't want to say that because that's to no. imply that you looked horrible before. I, I but did. As, I did. As you juxtapose, it's just you're wearing health very well. I, I I feel healthier. I needed to be. It was getting in the way. I mean, I, some of it I couldn't help. Right. You know, it's hard. You know, you're on crutches or you know you can't do anything. You know, I was gaining weight. It. I, I everything was hard. You know. Sure. You know. I go down to the field for batting practice and I have to give myself a pep talk. You know, that's that's hard way to do stuff. So I do feel a lot better this spring. Because of that, do you do you feel energized in the role? Not to say that you, you know, maybe you didn't feel up to it before, but... No, no I, I do. I, and I didn't. I was leaning on the coaches way too much. Mm -hmm. And they're really good at what they do, but it's not fair. I need to pull my end of it. And I feel like I'm able to now, which... I'm appreciative of because this this job, even on good days, can get kind of hard. But you want to be able to enjoy some of the, you know, like I said, when we lose, I get mad. But that doesn't mean you don't enjoy the day, and you know, it's just hard when you can't move around very well. Yeah. How long did it sort of take to decompress and process the season after the Yankee series? And what did you, as you looked back? and had some time to think about it, what were your thoughts? Yeah, um, I stayed in Cleveland for about three weeks because I had to have a procedure done, and so that that helped. Um, I was really proud of what we did. You know, obviously, anytime you're not the last team standing, there's going to be disappointment. But I think if you look at it logically, and it's really hard to look at it logically when you're playing, mm -hmm. but when you're done and you look at it logically, we did okay, as long as it was a step in the right direction and not a feel-good story one year. And you know, and that's what I told our guys about 10 minutes after the game in New York, is that this has to be a jumping-off point, not just a feel-good story and move on. Yeah. That's the thing with baseball, whether it's at bat to at bat, game to game, season to season. Now, as you assess what you did last year and you start to look at what's in front of you, Last year becomes a memory real quick. It has to, whether you did good or bad. You try to learn from whatever you did last year. We try to learn what we did yesterday. That's one of our obligations. But you move on. Even if you have a lot of the same guys, which we do, it'll be a different team. It'll, you watch, it'll be a different bullpen. Um, and we're going to form a new identity. We don't know what that is yet. That's what we're here working on. But we'll forge one, and hopefully it's one that has a lot of the same characteristics of last year because I like that way, the way we play the game. Guys, he looks good, doesn't he? I mean, he, he looks does. refreshed. Absolutely. He does. Yeah, he looks like um, he's... Jo Go, Go ahead, Bull. No, I was going to say, yeah, it's good because, as you mentioned, he's just been through so much physically, and we know how important it is to the team. It's amazing. He's so self-deprecating. For such an accomplished guy, like, oh, I put too much on the coaches, I do this, I do that. It's amazing. You don't usually find people that successful that are that self-deprecating. You know, you're, you're absolutely right, um, but that's part of the charm of Tito. Uh, you know, we, he was manager of the year last year, third time he's won the AL manager of the year. You look where he ranks right now in baseball amongst active managers, and granted, he's been doing it 22 years, he should be up there, but... He's second, only behind Dusty Baker. So it really sort of lets you know, you know, how accomplished he is. And you're right, he's he's the first one that will take a shot at himself, um, which is is certainly an endearing uh, characteristic. The outfielders just finished BP. Now the infielders are in. And guys, one thing I want to really try to stress: Josh Bell is a large human being. I mean, he he comes across he comes across large on TV. Uh, I was talking about it with uh, with Chris Antonetti earlier. 
He said when he's walking down the hallway, you can't see on either side of him. He's just a broad, tall, big, massive human being mm. who told me yesterday one of the things that he's going to really focus on this year. Bull, I actually mentioned your comment to Josh about how, yeah, he's had, had 37 home runs in a season, but I, I told him one of my coworkers believes you have another level that you can hit, and he said he absolutely believes he does. He's working on nice. a, a more level plane to his swing, not trying to launch, not trying to lift fly balls. He says, if I'm at my best when I'm hitting the ball hard and straight, home runs will happen. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if he has a very big year. And everybody is thrilled to have him here because obviously Hosey's going to see better pitches. And it's just going to make, it's going to extend the lineup. It's going to make everybody in the lineup that much better. Jay, before we get to the second clip, who you spoke to him. Who else did you speak to besides Tito and Bell? Uh, we talked to about 15 guys. Oh, so wow. we talked, yeah, we talked to everybody, um, all, all of the main players we've spoken to. We're going to get Shane Bieber when we're done here. We're going back to get Shane Bieber. We're also going to get Mike Zanino. We talked with, I, I think the most impressive of all the guys, without question, is Tristan McKenzie. Mm. Um, guys, his upside, and they talked a little bit about him developing that third pitch to go along with that electric fastball and that crazy movement to his curveball. He doesn't seem too concerned about adding that third pitch. He has the slider. He likes the slider. He's, it's not necessarily one of his plus pitches, but it, he can throw that pitch. Um, doesn't seem too concerned about adding a change, although Carl Willis told me yesterday that, you know, that is something that long-term they're definitely going to work on because the, the, he can go from the front of the rotation kind of guy to a Cy Young kind of guy with that third pitch. Yeah. So I do think that down the road, he's definitely going to want to develop that. Um, Miles Straw, we spoke with Stephen Kwan, who, by the way, is in a very good place mentally. In fact, that'll get me to my second clip. Yeah. We've talked about it at length on the show. How do these guys, these kids – that had crazy success last year. Look what Gonzo did in the playoffs, particularly the big hits he had in that Rays series, the walk-off home run to win the series. And Stephen Kwan started red hot, hit a real rough patch in May and June, and a lot of folks thought he was going to have to go down to the minors to try to figure it out. But Tito told me, and you'll hear it in this clip, he's so mentally strong, he was able to make the adjustments to the adjustments, not only stay up, but continue to have a fantastic season, get a lot of votes in the Rookie of the Year award, and really become a fixture now for the Guardians in the outfield. So here's Tito now on all the things that were done in the offseason to make sure these second-year guys don't hit a rough patch. The baseball rulebook says if you have 17 guys making their big league debuts, it's a 100-loss season. At least in, that, I mean, in my been, experience. I've been in clubhouses where the season's over and somebody says, hey, what did you think of the year? Uh, we were too young. We were just too young. Sure. Can't say that. They, I mean, you, you were young, but, but not too but, young. But they, they competed. They never backed down from a challenge. All things we talk about, but that's way easier said than done when you're talking about kids that are trying to, shoot, they're trying to find their footing, you know, in our league. But they always paid attention to the scoreboard. And, you know, that's, sometimes that's, like I said, it's easier said than done when you're thinking in the back of your head, oh, I got to get a hitter. I'm going to go to triple A. You know, when Hosey doesn't get hits, he's mad maybe, but he knows he's coming back. And, you know, and these other guys like Jimenez was growing into where he knew he didn't have to go two for four or he's going to sit the next night. So the, they were, you could see their confidence growing. I mean, I remember Quan in May, he was worried he was going to get sent down. We never thought about it. I wish I'd have known. I'd have said something to him. He didn't play like, I mean, he did. He had the slump. But what was fun to watch about him last year is it almost like he went through his sophomore slump in the middle of the season. So you are you less worried about him having that sophomore slump because he made the adjustments that the league had made to him? I mean, all players go through tough periods, and you never know when it's going to happen. I mean, I worry about all of them in April in Cleveland because it's cold. It can be pretty cruel. So you worry about guys, especially young guys. But when they have a track record, they have something to fall back on, which, which certainly helps. Um, I, I think guys like Quan, I think he's strong enough mentally that if he does go through a tough time, he'll figure it out. Yeah. And he's good enough physically, he'll, he'll figure it out. That's really the, the element. It's, it's up here. Oh, it, I don't think people realize to be an everyday major league player, you have to be so tough mentally because you get beat on so much. And there's so much frustration. 
and to be really good. It, I have a lot of respect for guys that can do that. The, the two glaring pieces that needed to be addressed were, and it's almost like Chris magically goes out and finds, I mean, it was obvious where the weaknesses were, but talk about how you've got your core back and then they're very young. And then you got considerably better at first base and the catch position. And it looks like the, the strings that needed to be pulled were pulled. Well, that's the hope. And, and we never claim to be the 27 Yankees. Mm-hmm. But we do have guys in place that we want to see how good this group can get. Um, you know, getting Josh Bell is a switch hitter that can hit behind Hosey, especially against left-handers. We, we could get we, – we had some we had some difficulties last year. You were thin. Yeah, yeah, and that's not a knock on anybody. It's just we were a little thin. And when Hedgie was a free agent, we we wanted to bring in somebody that cared first about the pitching and defense, and then hopefully, you know, when he when Zeno's healthy, he's hit 30 home runs. So that's really welcome, also. I know, uh, Bull, you're going to miss Hedgie for sure, oh. <laughs> but. I think we're going to love Zanino too. I really do. I think we're going to. Yeah. I know. You're going to. Who are you going to pick on? Come on, man. He's still got I don't strong. want to pick on anybody. I don't want there to be anybody that's, that stinks. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. stink. But if they stink, you're going to make sure yeah. they. So yeah. let's wrap it up with our talk from Tito yesterday about the expectations for the 2023 season. Obviously, after the success from last year, <laughs> you got to continue taking step forward. As we roll the clip, I'll lead to it this way. I thought the most prophetic thing that he said last year, five minutes after the Yankee series ended, he went into the clubhouse and he said, guys, this is not the end. This cannot be the end. This has to be the beginning. Roll it, Steve. What is your overall expectations? I know that you probably don't talk about them out loud, but in your mind, you have an idea of what this team either can do or what you expect them to do. But you know what? The stuff that we talk about every day, the reason we talk about it is because we believe in it. Sure. It's not just coach talk or manager talk. Because you don't know where we're going to get challenged. You don't know if guys are going to get hurt. You know, if you lose three pitchers and if you start to make proclamations now and then all of a sudden you lose your whole pitching staff, that's probably not going to come true. Okay, well, your season doesn't end. You just keep competing. So that's why we keep them in small segments. Like, hey, let's show up today. Let's see how good we can do. And then take enough time to learn from what we did and then move along. Is that the key? Yes. Yeah. I, that, to me, it is. Because you can get bogged down in, like, okay, I'm, I'm 0 for 20. We've all seen it. I've, I've lived it. You don't go up to the plate feeling real good about yourself. Right. But, but when you're hitting good, you walk up there, you got a little <laughs> swagger. The idea is to put the bat in the rearview mirror and talk yourself into having some swagger anyway, which is not the easiest thing to do. Uh, what should fans expect to see when they show up at Progressive Field this year? I think the idea is we tried last year to really set a tone for how we are going to play. And I was really proud of our guys for that. Now the idea is they have a year under their belt. So the game should start to slow down for them a little bit, but it'll never slow down the way we play. Mm-hmm. It just makes it easier to hopefully make better decisions. So that's the idea is to kind of take it to another level. Yeah, that's Great the whole stuff. idea. Um, one of the other things that I want to share with you guys, uh, you remember we had Will Brennan on the show a couple of months ago, and um, we also interviewed him yesterday or the day before, I can't remember. Uh, he just wanted me to pass on to you guys that he had a great time on our show. Nice. He loved everybody, and he wants to be a regular guy for us. So he's probably going to be a guy that we bring on throughout awesome. the course of the season. Good. He's got more time probably. You know, he's clearly not going to be a starter, but he's probably going to – I hope he makes the roster – and, uh, you know, he's, he's hoping that he can be a piece to what they're doing here. But he really enjoyed his time on, on the show. And uh, he says he definitely wants to come back. He wants to do it on a regular basis. So that's good news for us. That, that is great, Jay. That's, that's awesome my MVP stuff. pick for this year. Hey, that's what's up, man. Jay, Jay, I'll be, be no, out no, to no, scout. No, no, no. Get to the good stuff. Jay, what's the weather like over there? 
Oh. Uh, it's cloudy today, so that's no, uh, you know, no, it's a no, little no. bit of a bummer. But it's 80 degrees, so I'm not going to complain. I mean, it's not overly cloudy, but <laughs> the, the last two days there wasn't a cloud to be seen. Today there's there's clouds in the sky, but you know the sun the sun pops out. You get uh, periods of great sunshine, and I heard that you guys are getting like two snow. or three inches of snow back there. Freezing rain, snow. It's yeah, awful. you give me the temperature. What's the temperature? Yeah. Uh, it's going to be 80 today. Uh, I might miss my flight tomorrow. Okay, uh, I'm just saying. Okay. I, 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 I might warm. miss my flight. Uh, hey, <laughs> have a good trip back. We'll we'll see you on Monday. Keep getting. Thanks, keep guys. See you Monday. Roger. Keep working the room for me, Jay. <laughs> nah, I, I'm doing my own work, bro. <laughs> yeah. All right, it's Jay down in Arizona. He'll be hey, back man. in studio hey, on Monday. Hey, t- listen, don't try it, Jay. Tracy's not having that. You, you're going to be no. right back up here with us. Yeah, Stop but playing. right now, we got to be right with Cole and Gracie. <laughs> we do, and and Jay is our lead expert on college racing with Earl and without them today, it's on me. So I'm just going to remind you guys that college racing is the official NASCAR team of Northeast Ohio. It's the only one you should be rooting for. That's right. And you guys can't see this, but yeah. Jay just threw back on his shades that he got roasted for yesterday nice. as soon as he got off camera. So <laughs> shout out to Jay for that. I had no problem with his. He his felt, he felt bad about it. So Mikey, <laughs> earlier in the show, we started the show first half hour. Breaking down, we all gave our perfect off seasons. Not a surprise. The van, fans right. voted for my upper. Oh. For the record, they hated all of ours. They just thought yours was the best in the world. How would they hate mine? There How was a would lot they of hate saying, mine? There was a lot of stuff saying we should never criticize Andrew Berry again after what they saw. Us Those fans show. are idiots. Let's ignore that. <laughs> Let, let's hear. We, we try to wean Bull off that. He gets one a show. I want to know one idiot. What was wrong with mine? Yeah. Just don't listen. Actually, they, nah. yours, your Brad, they were salty of Brad. Oh, they they were so so it's I was, Chubb. Nobody here, wants Odell back and listen, back. We <laughs> no, got I'll, I'll tell you, two, two ones that are half serious and two that are very serious. Let's right, start with the half serious or the serious first. Serious. I like half serious. Go ahead. I'm with G. Let's go with the half serious. Half serious first. Okay, this is from Planet C5. Yeah, all right. He's given $17 million to Woods. He didn't clarify what Woods. What Woods? Joe? Joseph? Joseph? I think you meant Robert Woods, the receiver. <laughs> okay, keep no. going. Uh, no, he's $13 not. Million to Javon Hargrave. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. That, he's costing more than that. All right, Kobo. Eight million more to Watson just to piss everyone off. <laughs> <laughs> and 12 million to Nick Chubb because he's Nick effing Chubb, and I would never trade him. Hey, l- listen, right. I like that one. That's terrible. I like that go one. ahead, let's go. Eight, eight million to Watson just to piss people off. Who is, is – who the hell's Woods? He's got to be talking – he's got to be talking Robert Woods. For Woods. Robert Woods isn't worth one million. No kidding. Go ahead. Can you, is there another Woods we're overlooking? In Joseph. Jo- I don't know. Bring, okay. Not worth talking about any longer. The Let's second on. one is from Rahul Ganesh. Okay. Of My is. perfect offseason is whatever <laughs> makes Deshaun Watson great again. If he is, we don't need much. Love this mo- love this play blowing by Bengals. He's put a gift. By the way, Bulls plan hit it out the park. I wouldn't change much from his. Loved you guys from India. So that shout guy, out Rahul that guy in India. Shout out to we India. love India. We love that guy. He's very smart. Uh, I hey, like listen, that guy. Shout out, man. We doing it big, man. We everywhere. Ain't nobody shout else out in to India. India, man. Nobody in India like we in India. Stop playing with us, bro. We got you. We we are got India on lockdown now. We are the number one Cleveland sports show in India. Fact. Ultimate Cleveland India show. Let's go. <laughs> Boom. Can you talk cricket. We play cricket tomorrow. We're I'm locking it down. <laughs> and, okay, and we have two to serious ones. All yes. right, let's get to them. Legit. This was a Will McEwen who. Super chatted us. $10 for the super chat here. Okay. Okay. Will McEwen would trade two second round picks for Deron Payne. A third round pick. That's already a fail. They wouldn't do that. Go ahead. Let let me finish the whole plan before we say. Yeah. Two second round picks for Deron Payne. A third round pick for DeAndre Hopkins. A third and a fourth for DeForest Buckner. He would sign Chauncey Gardner Johnson and Bobby Wagner and resign Pochich. And he says, You guys are crazy for Cooks. He's not worth more than Amari Cooper. Mm -hmm. It's irrelevant. Of course, he's not worth, in theory, more. But we can't but the sign market has changed a little bit. We can't sign and trade <laughs> CT tackles. So, like, yeah. he's a free agent, right? So, like, he can just sign somewhere. They wouldn't take two picks from him. They're not who? Who? 
Like, like you they pick, just franchise tag Payne. He's not moving. Yeah, they're not trading him for two. Oh yeah, oh they franchise. If, if they yeah, were yeah. trading him for two second dude. round picks, yeah. they wouldn't have franchised him. Uh, yeah, so that doesn't yeah, make yeah, right, sense. Right, right. I'm not spending huge money on Ch- Chauncey Forest Gardner, whatever the hell his Chauncey name is. Chauncey Gardner. How much, how much did he, I don't care about him. How much did he say he was going to sign him for? Did he say? No, we didn't get that. And specific. just the fact that he said I'm not giving up more than Cooper for Cooks shows he's. Yeah, at least three quarters ignoramus. So let's move on. <laughs> this next one's very, this next one's very specific. It's not my fault. It's from Cole Blau, and he took Bulls approach. He, he's also going to cut Harrison Bryant, Jordan Elliott, and they all Anthony suck. Schwartz. They suck. <laughs> then okay. he's trading Greg Newsom in 42, so okay. their second-round pick, to Detroit for number 18. No. He's then trading... That, they might take that's it. That's not actually. a crazy. I'm about to say they like, might take that. Actually, because your boy is a uh, stone cold bust. What's his name? Jeffrey Jeff Okuda. Okuda ain't did he, nothing. He, he, uh, his his shit was like this last year. Better this year. Go ahead. So this is from Cole Blau. Yeah. So his first trade was Newsom and 42 Detroit for 18. All right. Not fair. His second trade was 98. So their third round pick plus a 2024 third for Cooks. So two thirds for Cooks. That might work. His third trade is Wyatt Teller to Washington for a second round pick. Not doing that. They they, They they ain't doing that. With those drafts, he's taking Jackson Smith and Jigba at 18. And Felix and Duque Uzoma, the guy you took ball, yeah. at 47, which is the pick they got for Teller. And then he's signing Oni uh, Yamada, Dalvin Tomlinson, Zadarius Smith, and Adrian Amos, and Eric Kendricks. Okay. He didn't give money, so that's a lot of players. But they don't have the 40-something pick if they traded the second-round pick with Gene No, he traded Teller to Washington for a second-round pick. Oh, that's yeah, how he okay. got there. It's not bad if you can get all that off. Fan questions in overtime. We'll see you there. Not sure they have the money for it, but I like the idea. See you Monday. Free agency starts Monday. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.